I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Bad Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kyla. And I'm Elliot. And we're going to talk about the movies we watched this week before crowning the baddest dad and greatest dad of them all. And as always, dad is an energy, not a gender. We have a few things we want to talk about right off the bat. First of all, one of the most exciting things where (laughs) I saw it first and then I had a very audible reaction that you're like, What? What, Correct. What you is like happening? to do that, just like react, and then I don't know if something really good or really bad has happened. It's, I, I think I've just learned a lot from movies where somebody goes, "Holy shit!" <laughs> and then every, everybody else is like, "What?" <laughs> I, I like to have the reveal. Yeah, I think happen. what you said this time was "Whoa!" and I was like, "Um, what's whoa?" <laughs> yeah, is it good whoa? Is it a bad whoa? Was it a good whoa or was it a bad whoa? It's a very good whoa. So yeah, we um. When we did our episode where we talked about Marcel Shell and named Marcel our Rad Dad of the Week, we made our post, put it on Instagram, and we got a repost via stories from the director of Marcel Shell, which she was on, Dean Flesher Camp. Pretty cool. I, I lost my mind. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's very cool. Like Dean Flesher Camp for a brief second knew who we were. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah, like he had, like the fact that he stopped, looked at our post, and just spent a, just a, a, a very microscopic second thinking about us and what we did. <laughs> it was very cool. Um, the second thing that was very cool, and it's been some, it's something that we've been talking about doing for a really long time, and we finally just bit the bullet happily, and did it is our favorite theater that we always talk about, Metro Cinema. They have this program called the Silver Screen Pass, which is essentially you pay for a year's membership and you you pay one flat fee and then you get free movies for the rest for the rest of the year. You can go see as many movies as you want at Metro Mm -hmm. uh, and it's all wrapped up in this membership. And yeah, like I said, we like we batted around like, is it going to be worth it? Are we going to use it enough? And now that we're 
going full full on with this podcast and going to so many movies at Metro, it's like, yeah, this is the perfect time. Like, we'll just yeah. go see everything that we can there. And I think for me, it was like, even if we don't see enough movies to make our money back, I'm happy to have given the money to them. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, I think that we were already seeing a lot of movies at Metro. And I feel like now we're going to be seeing even more movies at Metro. Yeah, I mean, they even said that because they did this really fancy, well-done lamination of our silver screen passes while we were at the movie. Because we, like, got them before we went to a movie and then they were like, come see us after the show. Yeah. And we'll have these laminated for you. And then they were like, I bet we'll be seeing a lot more of you. We were like, oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So... Yeah, and they've got some exciting, like they're playing Jurassic Park in yeah. September and then they're playing Mac and Me and I'm like, yeah. And those are like kicking off their new season of of movies too. And I feel like that's the thing that we often don't go to there is if we're like, oh, that's cool. They're playing, you know, for example, they're playing The Big Lebowski soon and it's like, that's really cool. I really like that movie. I'd like to go see it in the theater. But then the day comes around and it's like, ah, we own it or, you know, like should we spend the money to go see this movie that's on a streaming site? Um, And those are the ones I think we might go see even more now where it's like, yeah, why not? We already have an annual pass. Why not go see it on the big screen? So, yeah, very excited about it. And then the the last thing that I'll talk about is that this week we watched seven movies. So we watched a movie every day, (laughs) which we haven't done in a while. It's been some time since we actually did that. I I don't think we thought we were going to. No, it was kind of an accidental thing that happened, but two of them we're actually not going to talk about, um, but we're going to mention them here. Uh, the first movie that we watched was Midsommar, which is one of our favorite movies, and we watched it on July 31st, so in terms of your vacation. Midsommar. Midsommar. The, the one bummer about it, though, is we went to go watch our like A24 special edition of it because we wanted to watch the director's cut. Mm. And it was our first time like opening it up since we bought it in March, which is a long time ago, but it was our first time we went to watch it. And it had like a big, deep gouge in the disc and it wouldn't play. Um, and so we ended up having to watch just like the regular version on Netflix. But then we emailed A24 and we're like, hey, we know that we bought this like months ago, but it does have a big gouging it and they were like no problem we'll send you another one yeah so thank you yeah they're very very good very responsive too very quick yeah um so yeah watch that still love it still amazing we will talk about it at some point um we have plans to talk about it but we're not gonna do that here um and the second movie we watched was everything everywhere all at once (laughs) um but the circumstances of which we watched it were different and Kind of unique. Oh, we'll talk about that. Yeah, very cool. We're just gonna little teasies today. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so stop dancing around it. We're gonna get to the movies that we watched that we are gonna talk about. <laughs> um, so it started with my pick this week, and I picked the 1999 drama Rat Catcher. It was directed and written by Lynn Ramsey. Um, it stars William Eady as James, Tommy Flanagan as Da. This is a very Scottish movie. So. <laughs> uh, Mandy Matthews as Ma and Leanne Mullen as Margaret Ann. The synopsis is a naive young lad <laughs> navigates the dirty, squalid streets of 1973 Glasgow and the poor youth around him. Well, he is a naive young lad. Yeah. 
so yeah, we like this was I wanted to watch this because this is kind of from what I've seen, this is a very highly regarded movie. It's in the Criterion Collection and the what kind of put it on my radar again was I, I love going back and rewatching all of the Criterion Closet videos that are on YouTube of filmmakers going into the closet and picking out some of their favorite movies and talking about them. And I rewatched the one uh, with Barry Jenkins and he pulled out Ratcatcher and like mentioned, it was the first Criterion he ever owned and how, how it was an influence on him. And he loved the, he loved the filmmaking aspect of it as well. So I was like, you know what? I I've been wanting to watch this for a while. So let's, let's delve into it. So what did you think of Ratcatcher? Um, I liked it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Nice. Thank you. Uh, Somehow, I know you're going to ask me that question, and yet, not always prepared. <laughs> um, I also have wanted to watch that movie. So, Metro, which we talk about probably more than we talk about anything else, they did a really cool series, I want to say sometime in this past year, that was called, it was something like um, Daring Debuts, I think was the, the name of it, and it was right. um, first films from highly regarded women directors. So maybe not their most well-known film because I would think that Lynn Ramsey's most well-known film is We Need to Talk About Kevin, I think. Mm. Probably the most seen film of hers, um, but their first films. And I really wanted to see this then, but for some reason didn't. I don't know why. Because um, it was only playing once, one night, and we didn't get around to it. But I didn't really know anything about it, to be honest. Right. I kind of even forgot. We watched... Um, you were never really here. We were never really here. You were never. Really you were here. never really here. Um, I think shortly before we started making the show, we didn't talk about it here, did we? No, I don't think we did. Yeah, I also don't think we did, but it's possible I'm wrong about that. Um, and I kind of forgot that that was directed by Lynn Ramsey as well. I see, having seen all three films, kind of what the interest is in terms of subject matter for Lynn Ramsey, but they are three pretty different films. This film is very bleak. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it is not It's not a happy go lucky time. Not at all. And like the beginning, the opening scene or the whole sequence. Holy crap. Like it kind of like the first ten minutes. Yeah, like it kind of sets you up for one thing and then it just kind of jeers the other way. And and yet that first 10 minutes haunts the rest of the film. Yeah. And is essential to the film. Yeah. But it establishes the tone <laughs> very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I just like, um, I just have, I just have written down the word heavy and yeah. the whole movie just kind of like sits in your gut mm-hmm. and it's just very heavy. Um, but like for a first movie, from anybody but from Lynn Ramsey like this is really impressive a daring debut Metro yeah. might say <laughs> yeah like it's it's super solid and after we watched the movie we actually because we watched it on the Criterion um, channel they have some special features on there too and they had an inter- they had two interviews with Lynn Ramsey that were 10 years apart from each other? Like one was in the early 2000s? No, they were 20 years apart from each other. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. one was early 2000s and one was this year. Oh. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. We are. We're in 2022. Can you believe that? Yeah. 20 years from 2001. Yeah. 
but um we watched we watched each, we watched her more recent interview first and then we watched the uh the old one and like a lot of what she has to say about Ratcatcher has kind of remained the same across the 20 years but it's just it was really interesting listening to to her cuz just her journey from film school and to become like eventually becoming a director and then just I could I could definitely relate to the sort of gumption and the drive that younger people have to do whatever it takes to make a movie like all, all of kind of like the immediate people part of the filmmaking crew of this movie they were just they were all in on like building sets and and doing whatever it was that they had to do but some of the more experienced crew like their gaffers and stuff like that she was saying they're like who have done lots of movies this isn't their first shoot that they've ever been on they're like wait we need to get out of here like we're tired <laughs> like we can't keep shooting forever and ever so it's really like it but it's really cool to hear that this movie was such a like a passion project and that the people the the people who were immediately a part of it uh, really wanted it to shine and to give it their all and to reflect this world that Lynn Ramsey wanted to build with the story. Well, something that's interesting in the difference that, that while well, you're right that the um, content of what she was saying was pretty similar between the early 2000s interview and the more recent one, her tone was really different. Like I felt in the early 2000s one, which we watched second, um, she was pretty like somber and like really serious. Yeah. And in the newer one, she was just like so laughy and joyous and just seemed to be shaking her head at the gumption of her younger self. Um, which is cool to see that difference reflected in these like interviews. I kind of got me... Um, thinking about how often I used to watch special features on DVDs and, mm -hmm. and how often we, I mean, I guess we do, we watch YouTube videos, but so much of it is like wired autocomplete and yeah. interviewed well with puppies. And it's not, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. here's a featurette on this thing that speaks to the movie itself. So it was really cool to um, just hear her thoughts. That's a good point. Like a lot of these interviews, whether it be on like a late night show or like these more, yeah, like, these audio complete interviews or what have you which i love i'm not yeah like it's very dipping them yeah it... <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what that means <laughs> don't dip me um <laughs> i'm trying to bring some new slang i love it <laughs> if you're listening to this start saying dip <laughs> that's a negative yeah. you don't, don't want to be you, you don't want to be dipped <laughs> or you'll be like i'm really dipping this today <laughs> <laughs> i feel so dipped um multi-use but I feel like all of these things are kind of, instead of wanting to kind of delve in and get at the heart of what the filmmakers wanted to achieve or what they were thinking or what their headspace was, it's just kind of searching for a viral moment. Yeah, it's like Stranger Things cast takes a quiz on what Stranger Things character they are. Yeah. But I'm like, I want to see a, like how the like how a Demogorgon is made. Yeah, or like, like the practical effects and the mixing of digital effects and how they do it. Or like how Not that that doesn't exist, I'm sure it does. Or like is the demo does the demogorgon itself have like a bigger thing that it's representing or something like that? Like 
do some like some behind the scenes, like peel back the layers and like. I think those things exist. They're just not at the front of YouTube, you know. Yeah, I mean, or they are on special DVDs you have to purchase. Like, do I care if like, oh, Nancy's actually a mic? Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I do. (laughs) I I I want to do both. I want to get my wired autocomplete, but then also like watch a thirty-minute interview with the director. Yeah. I'm not dipping it. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm not dipping you it either. You sound like you are. Uh, no, I'm not dipping it. I like. I like both, but I think that that was a really interesting point that you brought up. That yeah, Thank you. I, and I think that I am interesting. Th- I think that the priority is searching for that viral moment over top of maybe deep diving, and like that's what gets pushed a lot harder than getting to do some of these deep dive kind of things. That's why I like. I, I like um like the actor round tables or like yeah, the actors cool. on actors. Like yeah. I like those. That's where you get a little bit more of those, but yeah, definitely not as higher profile, higher marketed as like an autocomplete interview or something like that. Um back to the movie though. Uh something that was interesting that you and I both noticed on our own as we were watching it. And not that we didn't say anything to each other, but then afterwards we were like, Yeah, I noticed that and then it came out in the interviews we watched with Lynn Ramsey is we noticed this real like photographic sense to the film yeah that like it felt like these beautiful snapshots um in the way that it the cinematography was yeah. was employed um and then we found out that Lynn Ramsey was originally a photographer totally and then out. i think entered entered the film program um in cinematography and then eventually became a filmmaker mm-hmm. um so that was really cool like and you really see that it's a stunning visual film although it has this real um moody color palette like it's yeah. very muted yeah um kind of like grays and and muted blues and muted greens um which like creates that bleak atmosphere. And I mean, and that's not to say there's these like moments of like juxtaposed, juxtaposed, juxtaposed joy in the midst of that like really heavy stuff um, that I think creates that realism. Yeah. And you and I tend to like that. This, um, this heaviness that's has this, these little like moments of levity that are counterpoints to it. Because that feels like real life, right? Even in yeah. the bleakest of circumstances, there's moments of joy. And even in the most happy circumstances, there's moments of despair. It kind of, um, I don't think we've watched a Sean Baker film since we started the show. I think you're right. Oh. I think we've mentioned him and kind of what we, some of the things we like about his films in yeah. passing. So we've seen Red Rocket, Florida Project, and Tangerine. I think that's all. Mm-hmm. Um, but something that I, I like about Sean Baker's films which, you know, some people have ethical quandaries with, and I understand those, and I've read a lot about it, and I I agree with many of the points, um, and yet I like his films nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Um, because he uses a lot of... The language that Lynn Ramsey used in her interview was blending professional and non-professional actors. Like, that was the terminology she used, professional versus non-professional, yeah. but both actors. And Sean Baker does the same thing, right? The Florida Project is a lot of, to use Ramsey's terminology, non-professional actors, and then you have Willem Dafoe. Yeah. Right? Um, so Sean Baker does that same thing. And in Sean Baker's films, I often say what I like about them is he goes into these communities, he looks at, I think, a life that's very different from his, and sometimes 
the characters that are doing really ethically ambiguous things, but he does it with com- like his camera has no judgment. Yeah. Like it's non-judgmental. And I felt that in this film too, there was a, a lack of judgmental eye on the characters. Mm-hmm. Like the characters were presented as they are for better and for worse. And then we get to decide and the film is not trying to guide us in any particular direction as to how to feel about the actions that they're taking and the way they behave. Yeah. Now, Sean Baker approaches that, I think, with a more of a sense of like joy and like chaotic good. Right. Like his films are chaotic, but in a very bright way. Yeah. His films are very bright. Mm-hmm. And this was almost the inverse of that. Yeah. Very nighttime versus daytime. This is to Florida Project, but hereditary is to Midsommar. Yeah. Or one is like, you just like, you can even just look at the posters. Yeah. Like it's just very, yeah, night and day. And yet I love them both. Yeah. Both slices of life, realism that mix bleakness with levity, whereas I think Sean Baker leans to the levity and the bleakness are the punctuating moments, whereas Ratcatcher leans on the bleakness and the despair and the joy are the punctuating moments. Yeah. Um, but both really wonderful films. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, the, the performances in Ratcatcher are incredible, but yeah. n- like notably... Um, William Edie as James is yeah. just I don't think he's ever been in anything ever again I just like I don't I feel like working with kids is probably really yeah. challenging yeah the older I get the more I'm astounded at how based on like legal requirements about how often kids can work and, and that kind and of stuff and what we've learned from the rehearsal oh. from Nathan Fielder I can't talk about the rehearsal that thing is just <laughs> I need to wait until it's done and know what's really happening there um <laughs> But I just, yeah, astounded at, at what can get done. Yeah. Like the performance, the performance of James is so, it, it, it is what drives the whole movie. It's who we're focused on. It's our protagonist. And it's just like so much of the movie's weight is on the shoulders of this child. Mm-hmm. And the, the way that he plays and shows the like shows family dynamics, shows dynamics amongst his peers and the people that he lives around, um, and and the relationship that um, exists between James and Margaret Anne. Mm-hmm. The, there's a, there's a scene in this movie that I feel like I feel like a, the younger version of myself would have just been like really dismissive and like really not recognize the beauty of it. Um, but watching it now as not the younger version of myself, <laughs> uh, I thought it was just absolutely beautiful. Yeah, probably one of my favorite scenes I've seen of anything ever. And then in both of the interviews, Lynn Ramsey talked about filming that scene because it's a pretty, it'd be a tough film to see, tough scene to film. Wow. <laughs> and you're um, really dipping it today. <laughs> I really am dipping it. <laughs> uh whatever i lost i lost it i lost it it'd be tough and she did good job (laughs) (laughs) she did good job she did a good job yeah i'm not not dipping rat catcher i'll tell you that (laughs) it's it's like really it really blew me away i think it's one of my favorite things i've ever seen in my life i will revisit it yeah but i would say to anyone who wants to watch it it's it's really heavy it's really bleak Mm -hmm. and 
you probably want to pick the right time to watch it because it's, yeah. you know, there's not even anything, there's nothing really graphic about it. Um, there's nothing salacious about it. I think it's that grounded realism of the things that happen that are sad or tragic or awful that aren't stylized or made grandiose that makes it sit in your gut more. Yeah. And is actually more upsetting than it's an upset it's an upsetting feeling that lingers. Um whereas, you know, you might watch a horror movie that's like really gross and really, really awful things happen in it and it's really upsetting in the moment. But then when it's over, you're like, that wasn't real and you're done and you forget about it. But there's something about this that lingers. Mm-hmm. So but like, well, it does have it has that sort of tone and it is it is heavy and there is a bleakness. I think that what Lynn, Lynn Ramsey does is capture the beauty in sort of all of that. Mm-hmm. Like it's she captures the most beautiful aspect of mm-hmm. all of that totally. Oh. Yeah, it's a phenomenal film. It's not just it's not a tragedy porn film. No. No. Like and she said too like it's very reflective of where she grew up yeah. and the conditions of uh her hometown. And that she wasn't trying to create a um like a PSA about where she grew up. She just wanted to reflect her childhood. Yeah. Right. She just wanted to put that on screen. It wasn't some like, oh, and now you must know and you must feel badly. And it was just about and she's like she said in one of her interviews that hearing other folks who grew up there saying, Yeah, that's exactly what it was like is is one of the things that she enjoyed hearing the most. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was really good. Yeah, I agree with you too. It's one of the, it's one of the my favorite things I've ever seen. It'll stick with me for sure. But how did it make you feel? So I mean, to borrow on a word you said when we very first started talking about this, I have written down heavy, heavy, heavy. Yeah, I just wrote down heavy. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote down heavy times three. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 heavy. Like I said, it's it just heavy. it just kind of like sits within your body. And yeah, just yeah, sits with you, and it just weighs you down. And it was you know. riveting, though. I was glued to it. It it captured me in a way that doesn't always happen. Mm-hmm. Even though I love watching movies, um, and I just I was transported by it, even though it was heavy. Um, it was really good. Yep, good pick. Hey, thank you. So fi- so glad we finally got around to it. I've been wanting to. This has been kind of like on my short list for like the last month. So, but a good PSA for those who are listening. Way a long time ago, one of our early apps, our rad 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 rack. Can't talk today. <laughs> I'm really struggling with the words. Our rad rack was to watch things with subtitles. Now we know not everybody does that. I will say I am infinitely glad that we did not see this in the theater because it is very 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 thick. Scottish dialect yeah, with Scottish vernacular and slang. I needed the subtitles for it. So I highly recommend that if you watch Ratcatcher, you find a way to watch it with subtitles because even though it is in English, if English is the language you watch films in, it's probably not the English you're familiar with. Well, I read a thing about it too that when it originally premiered... It I, had subtitles on I, it? Yeah, I yeah. think so. Just because of, yeah, how thick... Yeah, the Scottish accents were. In this. It's uh, it's something. So if you are going to watch Ratcatcher, highly recommend you watch it with subtitles. It is on Criterion Channel, but 
I know that that's not the most popular streaming site. <laughs> yeah, it's so, pretty niche. Pretty niche. Well, not niche, but it, it ain't Netflix. What did you pick next? <laughs> I went in a different direction. <laughs> um, so I picked the 1966 satirical experimental film Daisies. Had you heard of it? Not no. at all. Um, it was directed by Vera Chitilova, and it was written by her as well as Pavel Jurassic and Esther Krumbachova. Um, synopsis. I love this synopsis. I'm so excited to read it. So this is the letterbox synopsis. Two teenage girls, both named Marie, decide that since the world is spoiled, they will be spoiled as well. <laughs> Accordingly, they embark on a series of destructive pranks in which they consume and destroy the world around them. This freewheeling, madcap, feminist farce was immediately banned by the government. <laughs> <laughs> Full stop. Yeah. Uh, and it's starring, I think the only people that really deserve credit here are the two Maries. So they're listed on IMDb as Marie 2, the blonde, played by Ivana Karbonova, and Marie 1, the brunette, played by Sitka Serhova. Um, I very first heard of this film. I was trying to find the email um, to see if I could give it even more context, but I couldn't find it. Uh, one of my students, I, the graduated students, who I think I've mentioned before, is um, in school for creative writing and doing a minor in film studies, and like mentioned that they had watched this in a film studies class um, a lot, like, I want to say like a year ago, and I just kind of kept it in the back of my mind, and and so I picked it. Nice. What do you think of Daisies? Yeah, I had no knowledge about it. I didn't know what it was about at all. Um First thing, Thompson hated the opening credits. <laughs> Which we watched twice. Yeah. Just because we like we were having issues with subtitles and stuff like that. So we ended up watching the opening credits twice. But it just it <laughs> it has like a tune in it that like is really it's 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 stop and starty and he was having none of it. He was very perturbed. Yeah, he kept like whenever it would stop, he would go back to sleep and then it would start again and his head would just like jolt up and he'd glare at the TV. <laughs> He's not happy. No. Um but aside from that, this movie was so wild. It, it was... Capital W. Yeah. Um, it was very kinetic. It had a very kinetic energy. Frantic kinetic. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Um, I think I said this after it finished, but it kind of gave me a little bit of like Don Hertzfeld, It's Such a Beautiful Day vibe a little bit in in that it has it has a lot of levity. Like that's kind of its main thing, but it uses levity to kind of explore some larger themes that mm -hmm. it's, that's trying to speak to. And I thought it did it really, really well. But yeah, I, I the the main thing is I just love the chaos and just like it's the, bonkers. The screw it attitude of the Marie's throughout oh, this whole thing. The first shot you get of them after that um, opening sequence is just. It's It sets the tone for the whole film. Like, I genuinely think if you watch the first 10 minutes and you already hate it, you're probably going to hate the whole movie. And if you watch the first 10 minutes and you love it, you're probably going to love the whole movie. Because mm -hmm. um, that first scene with them is just so weird, so artistic, mm -hmm. like so deliberate. But it's got these, like, overlaid sound effects of, like, basically the Tin Man. Yeah. In, like, their movements and... <laughs> Their dialogue is so, the way they deliver it and what it is is just wild. Yeah, it's bonkers. Yeah, it's, it reminded me, it's very like Charlie Chaplin-esque, like those early, like, 
the um before there were talkies like <laughs> before, before the talkies um just like that kind of that kind of vibe that slapsticky kind of vibe yeah it's like it's funny but it's not in like a funny funny way yeah like it's honestly kind of bleak yeah. the, the humor the funniness the levity the chaos kind of obscures that bleakness yeah but when you dig into what it's saying it's like oh damn and one of the final scenes is like so haunting yeah there's this um like overlaid dialogue that both what is being said in it and and how they're doing it sonically is haunting thematically and just to experience you're like oh damn i think i get what this movie is saying and i am feeling bad (laughs) yeah it's a real dip you know yeah big dip energy (laughs) um (laughs) (laughs) gonna change the meaning of bde yeah (laughs) um yeah I, i but i really like movies like this like i like i like when they just kind of embrace their the oddities of it and they just want to go full scale weird and have this this energy that not all audiences are going to be there for because i i feel like the stories like this are based out of something that's very real something that's very potentially like yeah very heavy or has a larger message and then they're like okay this is what i want to talk about this is what i want to kind of have the story be about but then I'm going to just go wild in how I present well, it. I read I read some stuff that the I mean, yeah, it was it was made intentionally to be provocative and knowing it would likely be banned. Like it's a very political film and I think it's very political to the time and the and the uh, context geographically and I I don't know a lot about that because I'm bad at geography and history. Um but one of the things I guess that the director and writer has spoken about is wanting to like take the stereotypical idealized version of a woman, the blonde, the brunette, take it to its extreme. So they are that and then play with that. Mm. And then even within that, there's like kind of paper doll imagery at some times. And yeah, the focus on consumption and destruction is so literal and thematic yeah um, there's a scene with scissors two scenes with scissors that i they're just so wild <laughs> yeah. but also i love them so much and like why have not more people seen this film because i want to talk about it with everyone i'll <laughs> yeah. be like hey that scene with the scissors can we talk about it <laughs> yeah um I just, yeah I, yeah i love the characters of the marines like how if like if they want elegance they're gonna get elegance or if they want to if they want disaster they're gonna they're gonna evoke disaster they're big scam artists too yeah big time but i just like i love i love that attitude um (laughs) yeah i and i love i love how they like the interplay between the two of them i and i love how they would just go from scene to scene or scenario to scenario and just be like okay how can we evoke whatever chaos we need to to get what we want it's, yeah, the world great. is spoiled, so we will be too. Yeah, um, love it. It's so, so fun. When it was banned, it was banned for depicting the wanton. What? What's that? Um, uh, wanton like, dictionary. Is it like W A N T I N apostrophe? No, 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 no. The 
the wanting, the wishing, the hope. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> wanton, W-A-N-T-O-N. Uh, so uh, the definition on merriamwebster.com is merciless, inhumane, wanton cruelty, has no just foundation or provocation, being without check or limitation, unduly lavish. So that's probably what it is, that second definition. Being without check or limitation, such as being unduly lavish. Yeah, that sounds right. And so they... That's what it was banned for, for being, for depicting the wanton. Man. But I mean, there was some wanton apostrophe in it too. There was <laughs> yeah. a lot of wishing and hoping and wanting. <laughs> yeah. It's so, that's so wild that just like a movie like this, like people saw it and they were like, no way. Like this is going to give the wrong impression well, you know, and it's going to make people want to do this too. There's there, Well, there's a particular political um, context that I, I just feel like if I speak on it, I'm going to boof it. That has to do with like communism and stuff um, that that I think ad- adds a layer of understanding why it was banned and how she knew that what she was doing was like a big middle finger to the political landscape of the time. Yeah. Um. Nonetheless, I did, you know, I I knew that this had been a banned movie. I knew it was considered a feminist, like a seminal feminist film. Um, The cover shows kind of the use of these like really intense neon. I don't know what the film technique is, but when all of a sudden it like goes to these like bright neon colors. You know what I'm talking about? I don't. Where all of a sudden like it wouldn't like it would just be like green or it would just be like pink. Like the film itself. Oh, like kind of like an overlay kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like that's what the cover looks like. So I kind of expected this to be almost more a clockwork orange, but make it women. Um, which in some ways it is, it, yeah. but it's not mean spirited like a clockwork orange is. No. And there's not violence really. Yeah. There's like abstract thematic destruction, but there's not violence per se. Or there's no sexual assault. There's no, yeah. um, you know, there's no murder. Like there's bleakness, but it is not, it is not bleak. But yet, a Clockwork Orange is about you know, um, what's the main guy's name in a Clockwork Orange? Malcolm McDowell, but I don't yeah. know what his character. Uh, Alex, I think. Yeah, that's right. Um, like he is a guy who's just decided he's going to do whatever he wants and have whatever he wants all the time, but that manifests as like extreme violence. Yeah. These two are also deciding we're going to have whatever we want, whenever we want, all of the time, but it manifests in a very different way. And then their exploration of how fulfilling or unfulfilling that is, like, culminates in this final sequence that is quite a thing to behold. Mm-hmm. Like, that final sequence was awesome. Yeah, loved it. I'm just looking on IMDb at uh, the cast and I just love like some of the things that people are credited for. It's like woman in the toilet, toilet assistant, toilet assistant too, <laughs> elder playboy, playboy, younger playboy, <laughs> playboy, playboy one, playboy two, playboy muscle two. man, cheerful man. Speaking of the rehearsal, mm-hmm. I've heard that looking at the credits for that is wild where it's like fake, fake Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh man, that show! Ah. But yeah, uh, I thought that I thought that this movie was just such a ride um, that I enjoyed being on. And yeah, it it totally, like you said, it totally pays off at the end of the film. 
with how it all culminates and yeah as soon as it ended i, I was just kind of like it, it blew my hair back <laughs> <laughs> so uh I, I feel like you answered this without me asking you the question but how did it make you feel it it made me feel it it, it gave me like that a little bit of that heaviness that I was talking about, but it was it was a very light heaviness, and it was mostly it made me feel just kind of like silly. <laughs> it is pretty, yeah. So like, I felt silly and amused, but then that heaviness kind of came after when I thought about like the thematic point of it and like why it was made in 1966, and then yeah. I felt like kind of down about how relevant that thematic point still is in 2022, where I was like, oh, damn. Oh, dip, Donkey Dog. Like, (laughs) (laughs) nothing's changed, (laughs) you know? Czech Republic, 1966, Canada, 2022, same, same. Yeah. Not, but, like, that this message and, like, the venom with which this message is being, like, thrust into the middle finger that is this film still seems just as relevant today. Yeah, that's always a real tough Which realization. Is like, it's cool because of how we can like still relate to it, but crappy that we still have to relate to it. Yeah. There's some things that just you wish weren't timeless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but this also kind of continues and continues making me excited that I think that 1960s cinema is our jam. Yeah. Like, I think it was just a decade of cinema where they were just trying new things, new things. And yeah, like, I want to see more Bergman stuff. I want to, there's still like, yeah, there's just, there's, I feel like there's some very quintessential, quintessential films from the 60s that we have yet to see that we're probably going to love. Yeah, I think so too. When I, you know, I didn't actually know a ton about this film. And when I went on Letterboxd and it, or maybe IMDb, I don't know. And it was like films you might like if you like this. It was Eraserhead, Persona, others. <laughs> but I was <laughs> yeah. like, you know, having seen it now, those three films are nothing alike, but it's the um, this madcap, nothing makes sense, and yet I'm enjoying it immensely. And there's mm-hmm. just images, and the images are arresting. And yeah, I'm into it. Yeah. And um, this was great. Movie that was a little bit of a tougher sell for me. Yeah. So we watched the 1989 action adventure, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So I think it's very funny that we've watched the second <laughs> and now the third Indiana Jones but movie. But not the first. But not Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Um, so it was directed by Steven Spielberg, written by Jeffrey Bohm and Men- Menno Magius. Magius? probably butchering that but it's based on a story by george lucas as well and it stars harrison ford as indiana jones sean connery as professor henry jones and elson duty as elsa <laughs> um the synopsis is in 1938 after his father professor henry jones senior goes missing while pursuing the holy grail indiana jones jr finds himself up against the nazis again <sighs> once again. again uh to stop them from obtaining its powers so actually, the reason that we watched this was because it was a recommendation that came from our friend Rich, uh, somebody that we connected with and hung out with uh, when we were out east in Halifax. And he wanted us to check this one out. So and it was done as a mystery pick. Like, we didn't know what it was until we pressed play. Yeah. So we didn't know that that's what he had picked for us. And uh, uh, I think it's very funny that 
he picked like the next one and not <laughs> not the first well, and one. Spe- well, speaking to him afterwards, he he said it was because it's a quintessential dad film. Yeah. So it was about the Sean Connery of it all. The Sean Connery of it all, which, to my understanding, not having seen the first one, there's not really dad stuff in the first one, and there's not really dad stuff in the second one. So it was about you know fitting the theme of our show about dads. Yeah. Which it does have a dad yeah. and a dad relationship. A relationship with a dad is a key exploration of this film. Yeah. What did you think of it? So Indiana Jones, not really my thing. No? no. Are you surprised? No. I, I actually, I want you to get into this. I want you to get, we had a really great conversation about this and just like your- Big realization. Your, your genre compatibility. Yeah. I had a big realization. Um, so I did this thing this week. Because when we pressed play on it and we noticed it was Indiana Jones for a second, I was like, oh, is this Temple of Doom? Because we've already watched that. Mm -hmm. Then I was like, we should probably make like a big Excel spreadsheet that has a list of every single movie we've talked about on the show in case we ever forget or if we're having a guest on and they want to make sure that we haven't covered what they've done if they haven't listened to every episode or just to have this organized thing. And as you know, it's that thing of, if you just put your clothes away at the end of the night, hang up the ones that aren't <laughs> dirty, put the ones that are dirty in the laundry basket as opposed to throwing them on the floor, it's easier to do it. But if you throw them on the floor for weeks, then it's a lot of work to organize it all after. So I was like, I need to just make this list now and add to it every week as opposed to waiting a year to do it. And I appreciate you doing it. Well, thank you. But what I did is I, I had a couple categories. So I had Film, year, director, and genre. Mm-hmm. And for some of them, you know, I went through and I did it kind of on memory first. And then I went back in and filled some things out where I was like, well, what genre is this classified as? And what I came to realize, because I've talked a fair amount on this show about how I quote unquote don't like action movies. Yeah. What I came to realize is that it's action slash adventure movies. Yeah. That I don't like. It's kind of like it's the pairing of kind of subgenres with yeah. the word action. Correct. And you you kind of realize that in the scheme of genre pairings, action and adventure when paired together are not your jam. Are yeah, it's nine out of ten times I'm probably not going to really like the movie. Mm-hmm. So when I went through and I saw movies listed as action that I did like, it, tend to, it tended to be like action sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Like that was kind of the, the biggest one where the pairing or action fantasy. Yeah. Like if we're talking like Harry Potter or like Marvel movies. Yeah. Um, but whenever it was action adventure, like Mission Impossible was, was classified as an action adventure. Indiana Jones. What are some other ones we've watched that I wasn't so into that were action adventure? Hmm. You know only, what? If only we had a if list. If only we had <laughs> a fancy little spreadsheet. Not little. It was a. <laughs> it was an endeavor. It was a good idea to do it now before we're like hundred plus episodes deep, <laughs> and then we're like, okay, let's go through all these episodes and do this. But yeah, the two Indiana Jones movies we've now watched: Mission Impossible. Okay, so everything, everywhere, all at once is classified as a drama sci-fi adventure. Indiana Jones. Jurassic World Dominion is classified as an action adventure. Uh, the Edge 
Yeah. Is classified as an action adventure. I did not like that movie. Yeah. Mission Impossible is classified as an action adventure. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's it. So it was Mission Impossible, The Edge, and the Indiana Jones movies. And that's when I was like, oh, because there were times that it was adventure. And I was like, actually, I like this movie. But it tended to be adventure comedy or adventure adventure drama, adventure sci-fi. Um, it needs to be paired with another genre that I that can like give me breaks from the action. Yeah. Yeah. My eyes just kind of glaze over when we get into the heavy action sequences. Especially because, like, you know, in something like Everything Ever All at Once or The Matrix, the action's cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And here I'm just like, oh, you're on a train. <laughs> I'm on a boat. So what? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that that, I think that's really interesting that we kind of, that we figured that out because now moving forward, we can be more knowledgeable. Well, at least I can be more knowledgeable about when I'm picking, uh, then I can be like, okay, this is probably more action adventure. So Kylie, immediately I kind of know like this is not going to be your vibe. But if it's action sci-fi, yeah, you're going to be more into it. Well, it helps me clarify my own understanding because for like a long time, like for decades, I've been saying I don't like action movies. Mm-hmm. That actually isn't true. And I'll write off an action movie. Like I actually really liked the Terminator movies, but those are probably action sci-fi. Yeah. Action dystopian, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's all about the category pairings. There's there's a rare movie that's only listed in one category. Yeah. And almost every movie is either comedy something or drama something. Like those are the umbrellas. Yeah. Love when it's drama slash comedy. I'm like, what even are genres? <laughs> um, now, I had technically kind of seen this movie before. Um, when I was subbing a high school English class about seven years ago before I got my full-time position. I The class was watching it. But I only remembered a couple things. I remembered River Phoenix because I like him. Mm-hmm. I remembered a particular twist. Twist in quotation marks. And I remembered that there was drinks at the end. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Would you, you kept being like, it's not drinks. It's cups. <laughs> I was like, there's drinks. Uh, yeah, it is more cups than drinks. But I remembered drinking <laughs> at the end. But this is a movie you've seen a bunch, yes? Yeah, like as a kid, I I love the Indiana Jones movies when I was when I was growing up as a kid. What do like, you think of them now? You know, like because I've seen these so much, I, I I know all the beats, I know everything that I'm waiting for that I liked. But having watched Temple of Doom and now Last Crusade, I th- I think that it, they're fine. Like they're. I don't come back to them like again like I don't think I've watched these since I was I don't know preteen maybe teenager mm-hmm. and yeah like I just I love the like Spielbergian whimsy of it all like that's great but it's just I don't know I, I don't find Indiana Jones to be that interesting of a character but, so that's the that is the interesting thing to me because I actually did really like the Sean Connery. He makes this movie. and But I also liked the, I was, I'm not going to say liked, but I was intrigued and invested and interested in the arc of the relationship between Indiana Jones and his father. Yeah. Now, this is my problem with most action adventure movies 
is their very monster of the week in that, you know, granted, I haven't seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, but talking to you, you said that this is not a built-in thing. It's not like from the first movie we knew that Indiana had a complicated relationship with his dad. And this is something that's been festering and hinted at, and we've seen it in his character development. I mean, think if that had been introduced in the first movie and then explored in his relationship with... um. What's the what's Kihi Kwan's character's name? Oh, Short Round. Yeah, like if that had been explored in the way that he then approaches Short Round and like, you know, loves him, but also feels this distance from him in the second movie and then like comes to a head with this full exploration of it in the third movie. Like think how oh, man, amazing I, that would be. I love what you're writing right now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know, like I, that's incredible. Like I, I think that's Take so, me to print. Hire me movies. Well, I think that's so great because yeah, like you introduce this relationship in the first movie and and, and it also, doesn't even have to be this big part of it but we just we hear about it you know it's hinted at in his interactions with other people it, it doesn't have to be this like it could almost be this thing where once you've seen the third movie you go back and you see it in the first and the second and you go oh wow well and it's, it was there all along well i'm thinking too because in the first one he has a love interest that I ain't seen that movie you don't see like she comes back around in the fourth movie I ain't seen that movie yet. But like, I feel like there's like this interesting thing of like he has this complicated relationship with his father in the first one and then he like wants to rectify that when he takes on Short Round who's like lost his family or whatever. Yeah. And then yeah, then in the third one, like there's a culmination, there's a keep Short Round in there for sure. Keep (laughs) Right. And that's part of the problem with like the monster of the week nature of this is like what happened to Short Round? He just had another parental figure abandon him? Like yeah (laughs) cool guy indiana it's not like you're a good dad (laughs) yeah who are you to talk about dads (laughs) yeah now all that being said i took it for what it was like yeah and i did find the beats between um harrison ford and sean connery quite affecting yeah there's like a, a, a sequence that like the dialogue um got me a little emotional mm-hmm. not not super emotional because like yeah, you build this over three movies and then have this thing he says. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm I'm gonna be bawling, big time. But that's the action adventure trade off. Yeah. Have a lot of fun, I guess. But uh, mm-hmm. you lose out on that character growth and that um, emotional catharsis, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, there are some there were some really lovely moments. I think it's considerably better than Temple of Doom. It's definitely got some like cultural insensitivity but it's not so blatantly racist as temple of doom is yeah um but i'm not rushing out to try and like see the first one and i'm never gonna be an indiana jones stan yeah and i I think that that's fair like i said like i've kind of like i i still i like these movies but i'm not i don't love them as much as i did when i was a kid yeah um but yeah like the things that work for me here are yeah the relationship between um sean connery's character and harrison ford's character and the had the dynamic between those two and how they play off, play off each other is great yeah funny and like also interesting and yeah. yeah i love it um the other thing like the main thing i think about when i think of the last crusade other than uh sean connery and harrison ford's relationship is the opening sequence yeah. with young indiana jones and river phoenix playing young indiana Which jones does apparently like you had to keep saying to me like oh he's afraid of snakes and like like telling me these things that because i've never seen raiders of the lost ark and i've only seen temple of doom once 
um, like I wasn't understanding the importance of the sequence in terms of like helping us understand like I mean it's um it's coming after right it's retroactively deciding to show us where he got his scar and where his fear of snakes came from and mm -hmm. where he got his hat and where he got his whip and all of those things right yeah so you kept having to lean over and be like yeah that and that and that it's kind of nuts that the events of one day made his whole identity <laughs> I mean, for the rest of his got, life his trauma this guy's got some Deanna Jones used to go to therapy man oh, like, you need to get rid of that hat and like it did not come from a good place <laughs> and he also loves to like violently kiss women yeah I did like and there's this like weird thing with like the character of Elsa and who she's had sex with that was like <laughs> it's played, played for laughs like it's a bit but it's a weird bit yeah it's a yeah. very weird bit. Um, yeah, my guy needs to go to therapy. Yeah, big time. <laughs> um, but River Phoenix is great. I love that whole opening sequence. It's it's like one of my favorite things. Like I think Ever. that it could serve as like this Indiana Jones short. Is it one of your favorite things ever? He says one of my favorite things. Contact, can you provide some more context? Yeah, I've seen it in a movie. I love it. It's one of your favorite things you've ever seen in a movie? Yeah. I, yeah. In like, Whoa, but like in this genre, in, I'd say like in this genre of movie. Okay. So it's one of your favorite things, comma, one of your favorite things you've ever seen in a movie, comma, one of your favorite things you've ever seen in an action adventure movie. Why are you dipping on me right now? <laughs> oh my God. I just want clarity. I'm sorry. There you go. Dip off. <laughs> you dip off. Um, But I love the Spielberg of it all. Like the... Like, Spielberg. He's made some 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 stinkies, but I still love his approach to filmmaking. Like he just knows how to create whimsy and uh I thought you were gonna say he knows how to create women. I was gonna be like, actually I think he's very <laughs> oh, he's very, very kiss. not good at women characters, but um I and I I place a lot of that blame too on um George Lucas George Lucas with this series in well, you know what? Star Wars wasn't great either. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no. Princess Leia. What's yeah. the thing people know most about her? Her hair and her bikini? Bikini. 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 Yeah. But yeah, I I think where I've kind of netted out with this. And uh, like the thing is, too, I was reading up on it. Uh, Spielberg said that this is his favorite Indiana Jones movie. And I get it. Like. The, the fourth one's not good and this is the one I probably watched Temple of Doom the most when I was a kid because mm. it was probably it's definitely like kind of the spookiest of all of them yeah this isn't scary and I liked that about about that well I mean Nazis are pretty scary but. <laughs> yeah um, but I think that this has the strongest story this has the strongest characterization um, and yeah and, and also like I feel like the whole end sequence like how this whole movie wraps up is pretty iconic like you, it, it stuck with you as the stuff with the drinks <laughs> um yeah there's like some fun kind of almost like escape room ish stuff in this <laughs> yes that i, I, that I like yeah yeah and not just at the end like there's a couple times where it's a little escape roomy like at the library yeah yeah yeah, yeah. big time where i'm like okay 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 I, I see i see you yeah love it but then there's these like long 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 action sequences where i'm just like my eyes are donuts, you know, they're glazed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I love that. 
My eyes are donuts. They're glazed. Uh, there's there, the um. My favorite scene though was the blimp scene. It's pretty funny. Yeah, it's good. Like I laughed a lot in this movie. Oh, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of cheeky cheeky in this one. Yeah. Yep. Um. All right. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. How did it make you feel? It made me feel fine. Pretty neutral. Yep. It was a movie. And I watched it, and I know it's an iconic <laughs> movie, so I'm glad to have I'm glad to have watched it as more than a substitute teacher who's not really watching it, and to like have that pop culture knowledge. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's fine. Donuts. Yep, donuts. Uh, yeah, for me, like it, it's still get I still get the nostalgia from it, but I I feel like. I, I'm really kind of starting to feel like the whole Indiana Jones of it all is a bit overrated. Oh. Um, like, overrated, but that is your one of your favorite scenes you've ever seen. It's pretty great. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Those two, th- two things can be true at once. I, I love that bit at the beginning, too, where he comes out of the cave and he's like, oh, man, everybody's lost but me. <laughs> 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 yeah, there was some really good. There was some good dialogue in this. I will say, yeah, yeah, that's good. But yeah, I, like I, it's I agree with you. You know what? Yeah, it's, it's fine. fine. Yeah, totally. It's not a disaster like Temple of Doom, but also it's just it's it's fine. It's fine. There's better movies, much better. Just, just watch Jaws again. Yeah, way better. Okay, uh, we went to the movies. What? Yeah, we went and saw. The 2022 comedy mystery, Vengeance, directed and written by the temp himself, (laughs) B.J. Novak, starring B.J. Novak as Ben Manalowitz, Boyd Holbrook, who I know most from Logan, as Ty Shaw. Oh, that's what he's from. Yeah, he's he's got the arm in Logan. I was like, I recognize this guy. He's a baddie baddie in that. Uh, The always amazing Issa Rae as Eloise, Ashton Kutcher as Quentin Sellers, and Jay Smith Cameron as Sheriff's. Sharon Shaw. <laughs> <laughs> My oh, words. Mush mouth this week. <laughs> I know. Okay, synopsis. A writer from New York City attempts to solve the murder of a girl he hooked up with and travels down south to investigate the circumstances of her death and discover what happened to her. This was actually only playing in one theater in all of Edmonton, mm-hmm. which is probably the furthest theater away from us. One of the furthest geographic, like furthest geographically from us. It's um, like in a mall. It's like buried it's in within a, a mall. Yeah, it's in a mall that closes at like six. Yeah. So like the easiest ways to get there are <laughs> shut down depending on where you're parked. Yeah. We tried to walk in a door and it was just like, eh. <laughs> and we're like, oh, <laughs> we yeah, can't, we oh, can't. You're gonna, you're gonna. Like West Ed doesn't shut itself down like this. No, West, West Ed's a little loosey goosey. Yeah, you could be in there at one in the morning, accidentally, and they'd be like, "Hello there, <laughs> right?" Like, <laughs> yeah. Did you not find anything? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> this mall, they they mean business. They shut it down. We were there. They closed the food court at like six, which is like dinner time. Yeah. And we were there we were, a couple we were weeks there, ago. And like the security is coming by. It's just like, you need to. Yeah. You like 5.55. They're like, oh, we close in five minutes. And I'm like, uh. Yeah. So wolf it down. <laughs> that poutine. Faster. 
uh, make it disappear, please. Yeah. So anyway, so we, we had to travel like pretty far to see this. Um, but we did. We wanted to see it. What did you think of it? Uh, a lot of what I just kept thinking was that seeing BJ Novak and Ashton Kutcher together was just like, this is just a punk reunion. <laughs> we own punked on dvd do you know this yeah season one and two yeah i just uh unpacked the last box and had that in it yeah and jackass <laughs> nice yeah yeah it was it was kind of funny to see these two together again because yeah that's like the first thing like i remember seeing bj novak on the office and i'm like oh man it's bj from punked <laughs> oh they just go by their real names in punked mm-hmm. i've seen punked but like i think you've I th- seen it more because <laughs> i think season one was like his his main guy was Dak Shepard. Yeah. And then season two, I think, was BJ Novak. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like, it's so funny because BJ Novak is so good at playing Ryan from The Office. Yeah. And like, just that character. And we just started rewatching The Office, although by just started rewatching The Office, I mean we've watched two episodes. But it brings you back when you've seen The Office a lot. Mm-hmm. You're just like, all oh, right. So he's been on our mind. Yeah. And there's shades of the character of Ryan. Oh yeah, in his character in this. So and it just B.J. Novak is just a pro at playing that kind of character. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but as a whole, like I thought, this film was a great exploration of making of people trying to make a make their mark mm-hmm. and the lengths people will go to to do so. I mean. Yeah, a great idea to use the concept of a true crime podcast as an exploratory. Like avenue for satire, mm-hmm. like I felt red. <laughs> yeah. Like they're they're gonna name the podcast "Dead White Girl," yeah, and then they talk about how like, oh, that's a smosh. That that was I'm th- I'm equating "Try Not to Laugh" smosh with the movie Vengeance, two different things. <laughs> but I got red in that too. <laughs> Do you remember the bit about like? And now a white lady goes to bed at night and then she's <laughs> yeah. like listening to like a horrific true crime podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I thought it was yeah, like an interesting thing to explore. Uh, the bones of this, like the the general structure of it we've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, even in the like Eloise, like Issa Rae's character being um, in another location and and then like speaking to him from that location like we've seen that device before but i love Issa Rae, so that's fine <laughs> you're nobody can see right now that you're smiling really big i just <laughs> like i understand what you're saying but just like the device of somebody being in one location talking to another one <laughs> being used is like oh so like phone calls <laughs> no that's not what i mean i know what you mean but like i was just thinking like the, it's just phone calls it's just phone calls <laughs> two people in two different locations speaking to each other <laughs> Whoa, what the heck we've seen that before <laughs> oh sorry go on <laughs> i all my thoughts are just phone calls, apparently. So I, got, <laughs> I got nothing to add. It's pretty funny. It, yeah, it had some really great humor. But it also had some, like, it had some really, like, nice earnesty in here. Like, there was earnesty. some. Earnesty. Like, just, like, some really, like, earnest moments coming from Yeah, I just some I don't think earnesty is a word. It isn't? I don't think so. Oh, man. <laughs> I gotta look it up. Oh, I'm about to get dipped. No one. Oh. Uh, yeah, it is. Well, well, 
How the dips have turned. R slash grammar. Is Ernesty a word? <laughs> You're looking on Reddit to see if Ernesty is a word. Your suggestion is by analogy with honesty and modesty, I take it. Makes a lot of sense now that I think about it. I would have a look at etymologies. Whoa. R slash grammar is intense. <laughs> there's a reason. Oh, no. Okay. Indeed. Turns out there's a reason that earnesty is not a word. Honesty and modesty are from Latin. Thus, modest from Middle French modeste, from Latin modestus. But earnest is from Germanic, so the suffix situation is quite different. Earnest from Middle English earnest, earnest, from Old English earnest, earnest, earnest. Earnest. So, earnest already is the noun form as fossilized in in earnest. Oh, whoa, whoa. R slash grammar is too intense for me. Yeah, Merriam-Webster is spinning <laughs> in her grave. So, so, the answer is earnesty a word? Nah. <laughs> earnest. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you. There are a lot of earnest moments. There's some sweet moments in here. Yeah. That I actually, I quite liked. And... You know, I I wasn't sure when we were kind of getting into the final act of where we were going to go. And like the the ending was a it was jarring in a way that kind of swayed me away from this movie being great. I agree. I was like teetering on this is a great movie. And then it didn't stick the landing for me. It's not a yeah. bad ending. No. But I think it could have had a phenomenal. Ending. Yeah, it is a ending. Well, so there's some there's some interesting kind of thematic points that are you know they're very exposition dumped to us there's a lot of like exposition explanation of the movie in this and like what the movie's trying to accomplish yeah but i did i was interested in what those things were saying mm -hmm. now the rotten tomatoes consensus for this movie i like 100 percent agree with so i would okay. like to read it yeah do it okay so the Rotten Tomatoes consensus is writer-director star B.J. Novak could have taken a sharper approach to this dark comedy's deeper themes. But if you're in the mood for a slyly smart mystery, vengeance is yours. Yeah. I agree with it completely. Mm -hmm. I'm like, it. it's it's smart. It's It keeps you guessing. It's interesting. It's funny. It's well-acted. But it sets itself up that it's going to say something bigger, and yeah. then it doesn't really do that. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of phones it in at, yeah. at, at the end. Because, yeah, you're right. Like, it, it has some really smart dialogue. It It is very, it's not afraid to be kind of self-aware of, of what it's doing yeah. and lean into that. But, yeah, it just kind of kind of boofs it. But what I'll say, it's I feel like we we look at people who have had success in other mediums or other as, like parts of acting with a different critical eye when they do something new for the first time. You're smiling again. <laughs> it's nothing. Go. Why are you smiling? You're being a creep. You were. You went to say actor, and you said ass. Did I really? <laughs> Did I really say ass? Yeah, but like, you're like the ass, the actor. Oh my god, you're so immature. <laughs> you're an ass. <laughs> okay, so what I'm trying to say is. And we'll, we're familiar with B.J. Novak. Mm -hmm. like we know who he is. He's had success. We like him as the temp, right? We like him in... He was in Inglorious Bastards, right? Yeah. Yeah, like we like him in other things. And so it's easy to not think of this as a first feature film or yeah. to be harder on him because he already has success in the film world. 
and the television world. But as far as a first movie, a first writing and directing, if he if I had never heard of him before, the first thing I would do when I left this is say, yeah, not my favorite thing ever, but I'm really excited for what he does next. Yeah. So I'm going to say that like it was really enjoyable. It was funny. I was engaged the whole time. And I'm interested to see what he does next because hopefully he'll just get stronger. Yeah. He'll stick some landings. I'm honestly kind of surprised that it's taken him this long to... <laughs> yeah, what were you doing, BJ? Hurry it up. <laughs> well, it seems like he's like definitely like big TV guy. Big TV guy. Um, oh, yeah. He was in he was in Amazing Spider-Man 2 as like the guy that was mean to the Electro. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk about one last thing? Yeah. So J. Smith Cameron, who plays the mom in this, what else is she from? Rectify. Do yourself a favor, you who is listening. If you've never seen the show Rectify and you like things like True Detective and Sharp Objects and all that HBO crap, go watch Rectify. It's 10 million times better than any of that. It's a little bit more of a slow burn. But it's about a man who's been on death row for a really long time for allegedly killing his girlfriend in high school. And he's released because of, um, I can't remember exactly what happens, but it's still unclear whether he did it or not. Yeah, I think some like new evidence comes up or something. Yeah, that, that allows him to be released but not exonerated. Mm-hmm. And. It's really an exploration of like what it's like to return to his very small town with all of that hanging over his head and having been in prison for so long. It is one of the most beautiful, complex, difficult, profound things I've ever seen. And not enough people have seen it. And J. Smith Cameron plays his, like the main character's mom in that. And she is phenomenal in it. I don't know if it's on Netflix anymore. I think it isn't. But find it, watch it. It's so good. Yeah. It's worth, like, even... Even it's even worth buying. Yeah, like, it's to, it's phenomenal. It's streaming, it is phenomenal. You know? Yeah, yeah. As soon as I saw her, I was like, "I it is amazing." Yeah, I um, mean, so not to like dip on vengeance and <laughs> you know take it to rectify. Um, so to take it back to vengeance, how did vengeance make you feel? Um, it made me feel like I was here for the journey mm-hmm. until I wasn't. Oh. <laughs> Ouch. But uh, I agree with you, though. Like, I feel like I am, um, I, I like I am here for what BJ Novak, um, what he wants to bring to the table in terms of uh, films that he's making. And I would definitely go see whatever he mm-hmm. he does next because I, I, I like his style of comedy. Mm-hmm. I think it's very I think it's very clever. And again, here, like there's some really nice moments, which I think the writing of writing of those moments, like is totally beautiful, mm-hmm. really sweet, really nice. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see him even move, like lean into that a little bit more in whatever mm-hmm. he does in the future. But yeah, how about you? Yeah, I was really intrigued by the mystery and by the characters. And so like you, I, I enjoyed the journey. It didn't stay with me. I'm not rushing out to tell everybody to go see it and to like, it's not playing everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't think you need to rush out to try and see it. But one day when it's free on a streaming site you're already paying for, Give it a watch. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a good time. It's not a great time. Yeah. It's like super, yeah, super easy to just throw on. Yeah. A nice, easy movie that like is good 
and is worth your time, but it's not worth going out of your way for, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. Well yeah. put. Oh, thank you. Yes. Okay. So last movie of the week that we watched was a brand new one. Now we were kind of nervous we weren't going to get a chance to see just between being busy and going on trips and stuff like that. But it was playing at the Metro Cinema and we weren't planning on going to see it. But we're like, you know what? Some time just freed up. Let's do it. Yeah. So we went and saw the movie Resurrection. It's a 2022 thriller drama horror movie. It's directed and written by Andrew Samens. And stars uh, the amazing Rebecca Hall as Margaret, Tim Roth as David, Grace Kaufman as Abby, Michael Esper as Peter, and Angela Wong Carbone as Gwyn. Synopsis for this movie is Margaret's life is in order. She is capable, disciplined, and successful. Everything is under control. That is, until David returns, carrying with him the horrors of Margaret's past. So yeah, this was kind of, you know, last last minute last minute movie we were fortunate enough to squeak in all i knew about this going in was that the poster was dope I really, <laughs> the poster I, is dope i like the poster a lot i'd put that poster up in my house yeah it's really cool and, our house <laughs> can i live there too <laughs> yeah um and i i knew rebecca hall was in this and she's you like her yeah she's she's really great like yeah Really enjoyed her in the night house, even though like that that movie was like just kind of just like fine, mm-hmm. but she was she was really, good in it, she yeah. was really great in it. What do you think of Resurrection? Um, I liked it. Ah, yeah. <laughs> I'm st- really profound starting statements with me today. <laughs> so there is um a sense of dread in this movie. Yes, that is so all consuming and intense. Yeah. Like I felt so much dread and i don't know if that if i would have felt less of that i haven't watched a trailer for it even like i hadn't seen a trailer before we went i haven't watched one now i hadn't even read a synopsis all i knew is that several people who i have similar taste to on letterboxd had given it pretty good reviews and that rebecca hall was in. that's all i knew yeah so i like really didn't know what it was about or what was going to happen but from the opening not the opening opening scene but like the first time Rebecca Hall's alone, I felt uneasy, and it never let up. Yeah, that opening scene is killer, though. Yeah, it's it like I really, I really liked the opening scene. Yeah, and, and like it, it, it like set you. Yeah, it's like set up. It set up like kind of one tone, and then as soon as we got to Rebecca Hall on her own, like you just yeah, exactly. You just kind of felt consumed. She's a friggin' treasure, though. <laughs> yeah she is i saw a letterbox review that said something like rebecca hall's performance in this is one of the like all-time greatest acting performances ever but like tony collette's amazing performance in yeah. hereditary will be overlooked because of the genre yeah, yeah. I, I actually i have that like it, it's it's that good it's that good yeah. like it is worth it to see her performance alone because mm-hmm. she's phenomenal there is it's it's like pretty far into the film but there's a monologue that she does Oh man. That is one of the most captivating and phenomenal things I've ever seen put on screen. It's like And it was amazing to see it in the theater. It's like five minutes, if not more. And it is wholly captivating. And it's just locked off camera, just on her, and she's just kind of she's sitting in, in her office, but all the lights are off except for like one. Like she's just illuminated by like a desk lamp. So she's kind of sitting in darkness a little mm-hmm. bit. And yeah, she just delivers like this one this one shot monologue. 
and it the monologue itself like the lot the, the lines that are written are just <laughs> so upsetting and and veers into disturbing and it's amazing yeah it's so good yeah i like i will say i didn't come away from this being like that's the best movie i've ever seen no yeah i mean and i was kind of hoping i would <laughs> um like in terms of you know it has some like Invisible Man, Rosemary's Baby, like woman being gaslit vibes, mm-hmm. you know, um, which I do like that genre, that paranoid, what's real, what's not, mm-hmm. can she even trust herself? Like I like that. Yeah. Um, but she's amazing in it. Yes. She's so amazing in it. And there are, they're few and far between, but there are some really upsetting sequences in this movie. Like if you're a horror fan, yeah. there's one early on that is both beautiful and then horrific mm-hmm. and then so upsetting <laughs> like, there's some there's some um, auditory stuff in this film that it's just like ah yes. stop yes i agree like yeah some truly haunting imagery that will stick with me when i think about this movie yeah. but i think also that, some gnarly stuff yes but i think that there's something i i i love i, th- I don't know a bull clan but something i I think that i (laughs) love even more than just like seeing something that is really haunting is when people describe something that is really haunting or disturbing and like and they deliver it casually like oh so that that monologue was that but also like some of the stuff tim roth says in this movie he he also is really good in it everybody's really but he's just like so upsetting that I'm like I can't even think about how good of a job you're doing because like I don't want I want you off screen yeah like there's but yeah there's just something about when like especially him in this movie but like when you deliver something that is a line that is so disturbing and upsetting but you deliver it super casually like it's nothing that it's like oh this is twisted yeah (laughs) like and that just that really that really sits with me. I feel like Michael Haneke does that a lot. Mm-hmm. Like um, the piano teacher in Funny Games. Yeah, yeah. 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 What does that say that Tim Roth was also in Funny Games? That he's like a pro at that? Yeah, and that he's interested in those types of films. And we're interested in watching them. So yeah, we're all just twisty twisted. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I agree with you. This was not my favorite thing. I really wanted it to be really, really I thought awesome. I'd like it more than I did. Yeah. But, but I did like it. Yeah, like this was, the, it's weird to say, but this was a joy to watch. Yeah. Like the performances were awesome. The imagery was awesome. Um, the I felt like the pacing was really good. Yes, agreed. This is also the type of movie where I feel like an, the wrong audience could ruin the movie. And Big everybody time. was on board. It, there weren't very many people in the theater. And there was a couple of people that were like pretty chitty chatty during the um, during the trailers. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Oh, that always makes me so nervous." I know, but then, but then everybody was just like glued to the screen. Yeah, <laughs> except for so during that monologue, after it, some really upsetting stuff has just been said, and there was a person in the in the mez no, not the mezzanine, in the like l- the main area that just went ha, <laughs> <laughs> and like it, it, it was appropriate. But also it was like really jarring because the whole theater had been like so silent the whole movie. 
And then it kind of like gave everybody permission to like, there was some like scattered laughter throughout the like next sequence, like that sequence. Right. It was kind of funny. Um, I liked too that um, after the movie ended, the there was a crew of people that were like, what did they walk out? They were like, night they were like house. double feature night house, double feature night house, <laughs> night house, night house. Like, and they were like cheering like hip hip hurrah, three musketeers style. And I was like, and it, like we went to like a nine thirty nine fifteen show, yeah. and it wasn't getting out till almost midnight. So like either they had already done the light the night house, or they were going even later with a du- it, with a Rebecca Hall double feature. It felt really like like they were pumping their fists in the air, being like double feature night house night house. And I was like, I mean, I love. Hey, that. when we weren't in our thirties, we we would have started another movie at midnight. Yeah, I I wonder what like the impetus of that was. They were like. Rebecca Hall. Maybe one of them had seen it and was like, oh, if you liked Rebecca Hall in this, you got to watch Night House. And then they're like, yeah, double feature Night House. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to start doing that. I'm just going to start turning people and be like, if you liked this person in this, you should go home and have a double feature. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I have a question for you before we wrap this up. Yeah, yeah. So this is listed on Letterboxd as a thriller slash drama slash horror. What do you think, for most of this movie, I was like, I don't really see how it's a horror movie. Yeah. I was like, this just feels like a thriller to me. Yes. Like a psychological thriller. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's horror? And if so, what distinguishes a thriller from a horror? Thriller for me. is thrilling. It, yes. I kind of think of the feelings I get when I watch a thriller movie are kind of, I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm feeling uncomfortable. Um, and... It's kind of like giving me the Wiggins a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like I'm kind of crawling in my skin. Mm-hmm. Crawling. <laughs> <laughs> um, whereas like horror is kind of, I don't know. I kind of, I feel like horror is kind of equated a little bit with like scary in that it's like, it's maybe a little bit more blatant in its approach to just to scaring you like thriller can be scary but it's kind of a slow burn kind of scary whereas like horror it might be i don't know that's difficult like i'm I'm kind of do you think that this deserves to be classified as a horror or do you think that if people i, I feel like part of why i didn't love it as much as i thought i would is because i thought it would be more horror yeah but do you think that it is horror i think i understand why it would get the horror tag for a few select sequences yeah, in the movie. That like if you're somebody who doesn't like horror and it wasn't listed as horror, you'd probably be pretty pissed. Yeah. Whereas yeah. like um I feel like the overall tone of the movie is thriller. And like it the, has the like, main category is thriller with a subcategory of horror. Of horror. As opposed to Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And like I, I would even say like thriller with like horror horror sequences. Yeah. Um Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I'm re- I, I'm really because I made that chart. I'm just really interested in the like the way that these different genres become classified together to create a particular film, and how that like the fact that we have to classify them in so many subcategories almost shows that like the classifications are their n- films defy classification. I guess. Yeah. And yet we need them. 
But when I look at my brother and I say, Parasite is not a horror movie. Yeah. You can believe me? Yeah. And yet, something cannot be horror and scare the pants off of you. Oh, yeah. And something can be horror. Like, I have seen so much on Reddit of people who were, like, really scared by Nope. I don't find Nope scary at all. No. Like, not even a little bit scary. Like, that's an adventure movie to me. Yeah. That's an adventure movie I like. Yeah. But that's because horror is so subjective. Well, it is. It's kind of like Jaws, right? Like you and I don't I'm really not consider of Jaws at all. We don't really consider Jaws a horror movie. And I actually kind of liken, like, I feel like Jaws is an adventure movie, much in the same way that Nope is an adventure movie. Well, people say that Nope is Jaws in the sky. Yeah, and I I get the comparison. Yeah, but I I don't think I would call either. Like, I never watched Jaws in October. Like Jaws no. Jaws is a summer movie to me. That feels a little wrong. But our our friend who we're going on vacation with next week hasn't seen Jaws and said it's and then I think said like it's too scary. <laughs> and I was like, oh, sure. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's I think I like this I like these conversations because it was actually um Jeremy who kind of the last couple of times that he's been on, I think that he mentioned what the genre of the movie was when mm-hmm. he was introducing it and it was something we never done before. I actually like that. Like I kind of like that if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the movies we're talking about, it kind of just primes you a little bit more of to what kind of movie it is. And I, I like that we've been doing this for a couple of weeks now and it's kind of spawned this deeper thinking about, about genre. about genre and like it led to the discovery for you about action adventure, not being your jam not just kind of blanket action movies are or no blanket go. adventure. It's when yeah. you take the two and put them together. Yeah. yeah. But I also like this conversation about, you know, what kind of differentiates horror from thriller and how do you, how, how do you kind of apply that to this film in particular resurrection? And I don't know, I think I'll be a little bit more thoughtful about genre. And I'd like to have more conversations like this as we run into experience movies like this where it's trying to tack three different genres onto it to pretty typical pretty typical in making my chart i was like almost everything has three it's like the rare movie that's classified as a straight drama which like or a straight comedy well and i wonder if that's horror more like i wonder if that's an attempt to kind of it's I don't know. It's a way to kind of prep audiences to what you're saying. Like, so like if you don't mention that Resurrection is a horror movie or those like kind of what I would say more horrific sequen- sequences in this movie, will those upset people? Because like, hey, I wasn't warned that yeah, this I was a horror so. movie. So here's two movies that are classified just as drama. Worst person in the world after Yang. But again, like you could get sub like I feel like after Yang, you could go drama sci-fi. Yep. Uh, and maybe it is. Maybe maybe it is. Actually, some of these I didn't look at Letterbox. I just put. <laughs> so, but, but like this maybe... is a this is a this is not an accurate document. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't for you. Don't look at. It. <laughs> I just mean I just came to the realization that like for the for the most part, I just filled in the genre with what I thought it was. That's fine. I know, but then I'm like, I can't say it's actually only a drama because I didn't look. Because <laughs> it's based on yes, based you on my brain. Yeah. Um. So yeah, because maybe I bet you, I bet you, after Yang is listed as a drama. So. This is not an accurate document. <laughs> but I think that I think that this is I think this is good though. I I like 
I like the conversations about genre. Here's the thing. You just said you'd like to have more conversations about this. Guess what? What? We do this every week. (laughs) Also, just checked on Letterboxd, and After Yang is definitely listed as a drama slash subject. Sick. I'm going to check worst person in the world. I feel like everything has to have a subgenre or dual genres. No, no, no. Worst person in the world? Just drama. Just drama. I feel like there's some obscure subgenre you could put on that as well. It's kind of funny. Yeah, and I had Barton Fink just listed as a comedy, but on Letterboxd it's crime slash drama slash comedy. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, getting back to Resurrection 2022, how to make you feel? So much dread, so much unease. Yeah. And a lot of love for Rebecca Hall. Yeah. I, I also had the word dread. I was on edge the whole time. Give me the Wiggins. Yeah. I was just like also enthralled by it. So this, unlike Vengeance, where I said Vengeance is good, but don't go out of your way to see it. I would say, you know, like Resurrection is good. It's not great, but I would go out of my way to see it if you like. Yeah. Horror. Yep. Thriller slash horror. <laughs> yeah. Thriller with horror sequences. Yes. If you like thriller, but you do not like horror, don't see this one. And if yeah. there's certain things that upset you, maybe check com before you see this movie. What is that? It's a it's a website that'll tell you if animals or children or like are harmed in a movie. Good website. So you can like find yeah, you can like find out if like cats are killed or yeah. That's like um there was a website that came out kind of after the the Me Too movement started really gaining some traction called Rotten Apples and you can look up any movie or TV show and it'll let you know who in the production or in the cast or anything um, has been accused of anything relating to sexual assault, sexual harassment, anything like that, any problematic folks. Yeah, so like for resurrection, so so does the dog die.com, like it has a series of questions and then people, it says just says yes or no. Mm-hmm. So it says, does a cat die? No. Does a dog die? No. Are animals abused? No. Are there bugs? No. Is there dog fighting? No. Then when you go like for, like there's a lot of questions. Are there snakes? Does a horse die? Is, are there spiders? Does a dragon die? Is someone stalked? Is someone gaslighted? Is there domestic violence? Is a child abused? Is there addiction? Does someone use drugs? So it's just a really good way to like be able to find out if something that might trigger you or that like is really a hard no for you is in something without actually like having to go to a parent guide or like common sense media where it'll spoil the movie. Because it's just as yes or no. Is there an option to go deeper? Like if it says like, yes, a horse is injured or whatever, or if a horse dies, does it give you the option to see what that sequence is? Mm-hmm. It does? It looks like it. Because when you go to Midsommar, yeah, when you go to Midsommar, and then it's like, is there cutting? And then it says, um, ritualistic cutting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you just have to, you have to click into the yes, and then it'll give you some more information. Great. Yeah. Great. It's a good, it's a good reference. That's a great site. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. Let's get to that time, babe. Oh, time? Oh. What time is it? It's bad dad, rad dad of the week time. We're going to talk about dads. We don't want. We're going to talk about dads. We do want. Who's your bad dad nominee? I think this is a no-brainer. All right. Tim Roth's David. Yeah, all right. I'm going to try and talk about this without being spoilery. Okay. Just talk about characteristics. This is a person who doesn't allow for growth or change in others. Mm-hmm. 
and a person who consistently makes you question your own reality. And that is a real dangerous thing in a parent. Yes. Yeah. Big time. And there's more I could say, but I won't. Yes. I'm um I'm in a similar zone as you. And I think that your your pick is very good. Oh. It's a little patronizing. No, it no, it is very good. Honestly. But you think yours is better? Not necessarily. Okay. My pick is Margaret Rebecca Hall from Resurrection. So here's my talk about this. I know. I know. No, but like my thing was, is just like because of her past trauma and her refusal to seek a way of navigating it to to make herself better, not just for herself, but also for her family. Yeah. It makes her then in turn a dangerous parent. Yeah. I I do not disagree with you, but but I think when we look at the two, yeah, I think I th- what- like Margaret's stuff is coming from a place of trauma and the desire is there to do right by Abby, like mm-hmm. her daughter. But her trauma is getting in the way of that. It's a different boat with David. Yeah. yeah. Also, and I know that like I need to do some thinking about this and we probably need to have like a bigger conversation and maybe we should do some kind of a bonus episode and have like a guest on and talk about it but like Rebecca Hall has mom energy not dad energy to me we do need to talk about this <laughs> like I just I don't know there's something about yeah I don't know I need to figure it out yeah <laughs> the, the cold stare you just gave me I think we're getting a divorce <laughs> oh yeah you do need to figure it out yeah figure it out <laughs> i need your help um but in the in no, the scheme I, of things between david and margaret i think to name margaret the bad dad not a bad dad, but the bad dad when David is in contention too is egregious and disgusting. Well, I think I, I have no opposition to to David being bad dad of the week. Okay. I think what I was, because it was between those two. And I think the, the reason that I went to Margaret was just because I was kind of peeling back the layers a little bit. Oh, yeah. If we were having a spoiler filled discussion about this. I think it'd be really interesting, yeah. but we can't. But we not. But it's the it's that, the life we've committed to. But I, yeah, I I'm more than happy to acquiesce to Tim Roth's character. So David, will you do us a kindness and get dip, out of here? Dip, dip off, out. dip off, dipped. <laughs> um, red dad of the week. You tell me, Professor Henry Jones, Sean Connery from Indiana Jones and Last Crusade. Okay, okay. Oh, you have somebody different. I do. Um, I chose him just because, and like, here's the thing. He is not like slam dunk rad dad. Well, he's, he's made some mistakes. Yeah. And when I was, but like the thing is, is, when I was looking at our list of movies we watched, there wasn't a lot to grab onto in terms of rad dads. Um, I mean, like he, like he left, he left India, he left <laughs> India alone. Um, and dead names him constantly constantly dead naming him and like he (laughs) there's actually like 
shades of this stuff with like my personal life i was kind of thinking about where he's just like i left you alone because i i i didn't want to i didn't want to like helicopter parent you or i didn't want to like step in and yeah that's like that's actually a part of like the book i'm reading the memoir i'm reading right now which i've been reading parts to you where um it's sarah Pauly's memoir uh run towards the danger where she talks about how like other people gave her dad like real like props for being like letting her be so independent and like you know letting her make her own decisions but she's like i wasn't being parented yeah there's a difference between giving space and being absent yeah and like and it wasn't he her dad wasn't the one being like ho 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 i'm so great which is more what henry jones is doing yeah but she's saying like from outsiders perspectives people didn't necessarily see the uh, damage that was being done mhm yeah yeah and like and you 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 can feel that here there's some there's some good acting that gets that across here uh, in indiana jones but i think that at the end of it that he kind of like professor henry jones kind of comes around to that like oh like he really cares about his son he cares about his well-being and like he wants the best for him he wants to protect him he wants to be there with him so it's kind of like this like he kind of learns over the course of this journey how to potentially be a better dad as much as you can in an action slash adventure exactly but i like i like that arc um so that's why he's my nominee who's yours i picked jay smith hey cameron smith jay smith cameron jay smith cameron's sharon shaw that's a nice choice yeah how come so i said she holds her family together through a threat like there's a lot of tragedy happening she's got some like children with personalities and yet she's always like offering a refuge and like a place to come back to and yet she doesn't impose herself on her family even though she clearly by the end of the film we can tell that like she does have thoughts and opinions um but she kind of lets her children like the opposite of henry she lets them make their own choices but she's still there for them yeah. Like she offers them that independence and yet she's always going to be at the dinner table as the stable force for them when they come back to. She knows who each of her children distinctly are. Like we have this sequence when um Ben comes to the house for the first time where she like introduces all the children and like like their name, who they want to be, like she clearly knows them all and there's five of them. Like that's a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. She's welcoming to everyone but is willing to hold people accountable. Mhm but also willing to accept when a person has taken that responsibility and then allows for them to grow and change and like offer them a spot again. Mm-hmm. So that's my argument. I, I see I see what you're saying, but isn't that more like mom energy? <laughs> <laughs> I'm oh, just being a stinker. I, I know, I know, I know. Like but, literally as I looked at this, I'm like, I can't even explain it. It's a gut thing. But specifically your gut. <laughs> yes. <laughs> correct. Yeah, I'm not it's nobody else's gut. Yeah, I think we need to I think we need to figure this out because I feel like she is mom energy, but I feel like we just need to scrap like mom or dad energy and just like kind of have those both be encapsulated bad into parent, one bad thing. <laughs> doesn't doesn't roll, sound as doesn't good. Doesn't roll off the tongue no, as nicely. It doesn't. But um, I I think you're about to get the queen sweep because Whoa. yeah I agree I agree with you I like that choice much better than uh, had some Connor. good I had some good uh good arguments it yeah 
<laughs> no, the, yeah, wow. both good choices, both good arguments. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, J. Smith Cameron and Sharon Shaw, be your dad. dad. All right. Why don't you hit us with the rad wreck? So we alluded to it earlier. Pretty cool. I won an Instagram contest. Oh, ooh. I won an Instagram contest that 1,500 people entered. Oh, so what does that tell you? I'm lucky. <laughs> <laughs> and you're lucky for getting to hear this next bit. <laughs> <laughs> you are in the presence auditorily of an Instagram contest winner. <laughs> <laughs> and not some like 10 people entered contest. A real high stakes Instagram contest. I didn't have to win, but, but I, I did. did. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but <laughs> that sounds so bratty. I did though. I won an Instagram contest. Sick. Tell me about it. Yeah. So there's a really lovely person in our city, Edmonton, um, who is like a bit of a like local influencer. I don't know if she describes herself that way. She's like a local local like food and travel blogger and like recommends places around the city and the province. Um, she's pretty well regarded. Well regarded. I don't know. People follow her. And I'm one of them. Uh, <laughs> and she did a contest with a newer business called YEG Backyard Cinema, which tells you everything you need to know already. <laughs> Great name. Doesn't bury <laughs> yeah, the lead. It does not bury the lead. Um to win a VIP movie night where you get this giant inflatable screen brought and like cozy seating and you get to watch a movie in your backyard. Yeah, they set up like a bunch of little lights and like <laughs> like a bug zapper um, and like they bring the projector and set you up. You can and then you can hook up anything you want. Like you can hook up your computer. You can hook up a, a, Nintendo, a Nintendo Switch if you wanted. Yeah. So I won. You won. And... We held a little night last night and invited a bunch of our close friends. Mm -hmm. And I invited all of my siblings, but only one of them came. <laughs> Not everybody's fault. People had legitimate reasons they couldn't come. Um, it makes it sound like I have like 20 million siblings, but I have three siblings who all have partners and I invited all six of them and one person came. <laughs> uh, but, but a bunch of our friends came. So I think we had like 11 people plus us all together and we were like what a great opportunity to make all these people watch our favorite movie hell yeah uh so we watched everything ever all at once it was so great oh it was a, that movie doesn't get old no it, even is watching it on the on the grass in your backyard it's although awesome. there were some pretty cozy seats that we had yeah the the whole setup like they have the they have some nice nice speakers the big screen all of the seating and they also like we had like we won like the vip thing so they brought like crepes and waffles and, and croissant waffles <laughs> quaffles which were a big hit they're very good and then like with like nutella and peanut butter and strawberries and bananas and maple syrup and caramel and the works yeah and it was yeah it was super sweet it was super fun um, so if you are in the area and like that sounds like a fun night for you, they're called YG Backyard Cinema. Two folks, I believe, who run it. Sweetest guys. Nicest people. So nice. Like, so the night was supposed to run from 7 p.m. to midnight. So I figured they'd show up at 7. But no, they want you to be able to like have the screen starting at 7. And so they were there at 6. 
and set it all up and were just like like really friendly but also like just did it on their own out of the way like mm-hmm. once they like said hi and stuff like they just kind of did the stuff and and let us do our own thing mm-hmm. um they were also super nice they're like yeah if, it, if you're gonna take a little bit longer just like keep us posted or if you're done a little bit early and you're ready for us to come just keep us posted they do all the takedown themselves and they were just like super 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 friendly it was really fun it like we were really like fun. we should do this again for halloween if it's not too cold yeah i'd love to and do, do a horror again. movie love to do it for the horror movie i'd even love to like do I, I like that idea. It was one of our friends that brought it up and I didn't even think about it, but like, yeah, hooking up the Switch, may, maybe playing like some Mario, Mario Kart, Kart before yeah. the movie. Like, have ever, We totally have could have done that. that. Like, we, yeah. we didn't start till the movie till nine and it was all set up at like 6.30. Yeah. Like, but we could totally get, you know, have have like a dinner thing and then we like play video games and then the end of the night with the horror movie. Could be and really fun. what's cool about it, it sounds like I'm being paid to plug them, which I am not. It was just really, it's just really cool and really and cool. fun. And like, I would totally do it again and pay to do it. Um, is like, if you got like a group of 10 people together, it's just like 40 bucks each. Yeah. Like it's not, and, and like, that's worth it to like have this like fun special night and, and do a couple things. Like if you could do a resurrection nighthouse double feature. There's enough time. Yeah. Like five hours. You could watch two movies if you wanted. Well, think about how fun of a night we just described and how so many people will spend twelve dollars a piece on movie tickets to just go sit and talk in the movie theater <laughs> so, wow. and that stinks and that's so, what i will say <laughs> our friends and family must really love us or just be good people who watch movies because when that movie started even though we were having a backyard hangout everybody shut up <laughs> yes and the th- uh, like us two and then three of our other friends had already seen the movie before it was just like appropriate laughter and silence otherwise. Yeah. It was great. Yeah, lovely. So, I, yeah, it was really fun and really cool and like also made me like fall in love with our house a little bit more. Yeah. Just like doing it in our backyard was just like really like I really like this. Backyard. It was really special. Yeah. Yeah. It is yeah. It was really nice. But a huge, huge, huge uh thank you to like YG Backyard Cinema and then um Linda and her handles at Lindork for putting it on because it was I wouldn't have sprung to pay for it without knowing if it was great. Or like sought it out at all. Yeah, probably not. Um, but it was it's perfect for us. And yeah. I, I would love to do it again for a horror movie. Yeah. It'd be so fun. So that's the Rad Wreck. Um, if you too would like to have a little backyard get together. Like the they're band? awesome. Backyard get together is a band? No, you too. Yes, like the band. If you too wants if to you do it. If you two wants to do it. Come to Edmonton. Why did you back here at cinema? Right. Yeah. <laughs> but if you are in Edmonton and you do do this, <laughs> would love to know what movie you watch, what movie you pick. I mean, it's uh, we we were kind of like, what do we pick? No brainer. Yeah. Low hanging no fruit. No brainer. Everything everywhere all at once. But if we do it a second time, probably everything everywhere all at once again. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, that's everything it. everywhere all at once with commentary. <laughs> oh goodness, you've been. Want to watch it so bad? I know we will. Yeah, great. Love that rad wreck, and love all of you for listening. We drop a new episode every Thursday, and you can follow us on Instagram and slide into our DMs at baddad.raddad. You can follow us on Twitter at baddadraddad. You can get a sneak peek at what we've been watching on our individual Letterboxed accounts. Uh, links for those are in the show notes. 
And we would absolutely love you forever if you could drop us a rating, review, follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. Or just tell someone about the show. Yeah, just give a little whisper in a little ear and be like, bad dad, bad dad. It's pretty cool. Yeah. But yeah, that's going to do it for these stinkies this week. So until next time. I'm Kylie and my dad is dead. I'm Elliot and my dad is a deadbeat. But remember, not all dads have to be bad. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.